The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. the August meeting of the Public Market Advisory Commission, and it is 5.32, so let's call this meeting to order. All right, I will go ahead um, and take attendance, and after we do attendance, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves to the new commissioner, um, and then he can introduce himself to us as well. All right, um, Commissioner <clears throat> Nemeth, are you present? Here. All right. Commissioner Young. Here. Commissioner Wolf. Here. And Commissioner, do you pronounce your name Farrell or Farrell? The the former. Okay, great. Here. Well, welcome. And so who wants to introduce themselves to Eric first? I'll I'll go ahead. Um, So... Young, um, 
I'm currently serving as chair of the commission, um, and I'm also one of the consumers on the commission. Um, and I thought we could also talk about uh, what we do in Ann Arbor and then maybe why we decided to, to join the commission. Um, so I'm an anthropologist trained as an archaeologist, and I've always been interested in food. And I teach at U of M and started teaching classes um, about that included information about the local food system. And that got me uh, motivated to um, think about the Ann Arbor Farmers Market. And I've also um, been thinking a lot about changes in the food system, including in Ann Arbor. So that's why I decided to join. I'll pass the ball to Peter. Hi there. Um, so I'm Peter Wolf. Uh, I've been on the advisory now for a long time. Actually, I'm six, eight years, a long time. Um, and so I've, I've explored through a lot. I've been, uh, I'm also a, a shopper's representative. I've lived in our last 15 years. Um, and my background, I'm actually an engineer, a systems engineer. Um, I was a faculty at U of M. I left to start startups, things like that. Um, but I've also been, you know, a huge advocate of local agriculture, local food. And so I, I think I was originally on the board partially because I was just, I was at the market a lot and I was buying a lot of stuff and people were like, oh, you probably have some idea. Also, you know, I'm, I'm a very active cook and uh, do a lot of, I'm always interested in exploring and seeing new things. So that's, it's really fun to see where the market is. And I really enjoy having an ability to help shape it and keep it a vibrant place. Yeah. Jeff, why don't you go ahead? I'm Jeff Nemeth, and I've, I'm the, uh, sorry, my wife got me these things for my ears because I got to go to my daughter's uh, preschool orientation, and I was going to want to stay in the meeting, and I'm having a hard time with them. So uh, I'm the annual uh, vendor representative, and I've been at market my whole life, literally my whole life. Um, I'm on the commission because I think it's important to maintain a, 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 a healthy, vibrant market for for everybody in future generations. Thanks. Stephanie, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Oh, you're muted. Yep. Hello, I'm Stephanie Stoffer. I am the market manager. I've been in this role since May of 2020. Um, so I've really only known a pandemic market uh, at this point. I've got a large background in food. I am a farmer. I specialize in heirloom tomatoes and peppers. I sell though at the Ipsy market, which I've been doing for about 13 years. Um, at this point, I also am a sociologist and I did my PhD project on local food systems and urban agriculture in Michigan and California. Um, I've done many, many things in food. I currently teach also at Washtenaw, although not in the high season at market, um, just in the off season. And lastly, I used to be the program manager of Tillian Farm Development Center, which was an incubator farm for beginning farmers in Ann Arbor Township. Um, and some of the graduates of that program are actually current um, vendors at this market. I should also say I do sell as well to Argus Farm Stop. So I've got a lot of um, different experience within uh, our local food world. So that's my short summary. Hope I didn't miss anything. Thanks. Eric, welcome. We're glad you could join us. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Eric Farrell. I currently own the bar across the street from the farmer's market. Uh, we've been here for just shy of 11 years. 
prior to that, I lived across from Treasure Mart for 10 years and started working at Singerman's Deli in 1997 and worked there through 2009 um, as a, buy, a food buyer and importer there. So Carytown has been my neighborhood my basically my entire life in Michigan. And the farmer's market has been a, a central part of that. I've, you know, I've been a shopper there since the late 90s and into now and just feel like it's a very important part of the neighborhood. Great. Thank you. I'm sorry my well, phone is ringing. We're going to ignore it, though. Um, <laughs> hopefully you can't hear it. Uh, and I should say, too, the person who's not here today is Stephanie Willette. She's actually the daily vendor representative. Uh, she was the market manager before me, um, but she's got a three-week-old baby, so she's got other things to attend to, um, and she gives her apologies that she can't be here tonight. Great, thanks. So we're rolling through our um, agenda here. And the next thing is to um, approve the the minutes, or sorry, the um, agenda. So first of all, does anybody have any additions or anything they'd like to add to the agenda? Okay, I see Peter shaking his head. All right, so can I have a motion to approve the agenda? I move to approve. Great, and a second? I second. Perfect. Um, all in favor, raise your hand or say aye. 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 Great. Thank you. So that motion carries. So the agenda is approved. All right. So our next thing on the agenda is um, public, our first public commentary, agenda items only. All right. Is there any members of the public? I do see one hand raised. Um, so let me... All right, you have permission to speak. I'm sorry, I can't see who it is. I just see a phone number. Um, so go ahead and uh, unmute yourself and you can Hello. give your Yes. You can Hello. hear me? Yes. This is Ann Shepard. Welcome, Hi, Eric. And it was nice to, nice to hear everyone's bios. Um, okay, so i just want to say how grateful i am that so far everyone seemed really receptive to the idea of letting craft vendors who already take two stalls each day own our daily stalls on an annual basis it really means a lot to us um for eric i don't know how familiar you are with the issue i just from my perspective it's rules that were made in the 1980s and i feel they need to be tweaked in order to be fair and reasonable for all of us longtime vendors as certain consequences have played out in a way that I just think needs to be fixed. I think it's clear the exceptions we made for me and a couple others in 2019 did not increase the amount of crafts at the market. It stayed the same. The market is not overrun by crafts because of it. And that is what will happen with this as well. Uh, for me, I'm already taking two stalls in my chosen area of the market. All this fixed will do is ensure that in the future a brand new grower who started coming perhaps 20 years after me or more will not be able to come in and effectively take away my annual spot by taking the one next to my single stall and then choosing to occupy it on market days. The reason I get to take my second stall in my chosen area right now is through luck the vendors don't always occupy their annual stalls. They don't always come or they might move up to a different stall. If you come to the market the day before we fix this and the day after we fix this, nothing will change. 
It will simply prevent future changes that are detrimental to these couple few of us, three or four vendors. And this is, I just want to uh, say again, it's the perfect opportunity to do this. We have the extra cells available right now, and we are already doing a rule change, I think, the commission. I also wanted to mention that this issue also ties in a little bit with the uh, other rule change for doing the move up. If we don't fix this problem, uh, those of us who take two stalls, who are crafts, will always be on that move up list year after year, having to trust the manager to give us the spot we want. Since with this new rule change and the new process that started with the pandemic, we won't be able to pick our own spot each morning. The manager does it for us. And that new, this new method would leave us more vulnerable if we're not able to own our annual stalls. Uh, while others will eventually get all their stalls and be able to bypass the process as the years go by. I completely trust Stephanie and I'm super grateful that she has given me my dream spots every week. But I just worry about, you know, as years and decades go by, possible future managers. And I just want to say thank you all so much. And I hope uh, one way or another that it will work out. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Oh, that's okay. Uh, is there anyone else that would like to participate in public comment? All right. I am not seeing anyone. Let me just give it one more moment just in case, because I know sometimes there's a lag. All right. So there is another hand. Go ahead. Um, if you can go ahead and unmute yourself, you may address the commission. Go ahead and unmute. Can you? Okay. There you go. Okay. Hello. This, yeah. Uh, this is Bruce Upson. Hi, Bruce. Uh, uh, annual vendor. Um, I really, I we've been listening to the discussion about uh, the sign-in process and going uh, for the last several meetings, but uh, we're not aware that uh, it was. Uh, being placed on uh, a vote for this time for to go be sent to council, but uh, it seems like there are still some problems that need to be worked out. That there are too many vendors that uh, are not showing up after they've signed in, or you know after they signed up to come in. And then those stalls, it seems like it's been rather arbitrary on who who gets put in there to fill them and not in the normal uh, manner that they should be uh, filled. So uh, to me, I think there's still some tweaking that needs to be done on that rule before uh, it, uh, it's sent to city council. 
Well, I guess that's about all I've got to say right now. Great. Thanks so much, Bruce. All right. And Stephanie did submit some stuff, but I'll wait till we get to that piece in the agenda um, to just expedite. Great. Great. So, Eric, just know that we will have time to talk about these issues as they come up on the agenda. So, all right. So our next item is the approval of the minutes from the previous meeting, um, which Stephanie set out to everyone. Um, did anybody have any corrections or anything they saw on those minutes that they'd like to change? Okay, great. Um, so could I have a motion to approve the minutes from the previous meeting? Motion to approve. Thank you. And a second? I second. Um, all in favor of approving these minutes, raise your hand or say aye. Aye. Right. All right. So the motion carries and the minutes are approved. So now we move on to our regular business, um, the agenda items. And Stephanie, the first one is an update on the facilities. Yes. Um, so this is my usual just update about what's going on with, with the facilities. Oftentimes there's questions. Um, so right now we are waiting for the market to be power washed. Um, there has been some staff shortages in park operations, unfortunately, so that has been pushed back um, and not happening as frequently as it has in years past. Um, I spoke with one of the, per I think Dave, it was, came out last Wednesday to get us on the calendar as soon as possible um, for the power washing, because I know this is a time of year where there's berry stains, where there's corn husk pieces, um, and just, you know, accumulated dirt and coffee spills um, that happen throughout the year. And we're hoping that they will come and do that very soon. Um, a related project, but a little bit more long-term is the power washing of the roof. Um, we're hoping that that will happen uh, before, you know, it becomes too cold again in mid to late October um, to really have the water running and be functional at the market. Um, so that's our big update that we have on that. I know a lot of people have been asking about it and that's the status. Um, and, you know, too, just to put things into perspective as well, um, not only is park ops short staff, but parks as a whole probably has about 50% uh, of the staff that they did say 20 years ago, because a lot of times people say, oh, well, when so-and-so was here, this happened. And I just wanted to clarify, you know, not only is it a pandemic, um, there is some short staffing issues. So they know about it. It's on their radar um, and it should be happening uh, sooner rather than later. So don't worry about that. If that was something, um, that was on your agenda. Um, other than that, things are doing pretty well. Um, we have had a few mishaps, which happen every year where people back up their trucks into the roof and or knock off water pipes. Um, definitely have had fixes of those recently. Um, currently also there's sort of a bent, uh, what's the word for it, meter in the, the center of the lot too. So hopefully that will be fixed soon as well. Other than that, everything seems to be in working order um, and, and doing well as far as I know. The last thing I should say too, there were a couple times in which um, our custodial staff just did not um, complete cleaning the bathrooms for the, un for the artisan market, um, but that has been addressed um, through their staff. So I think those, those were the only real facility things that I had 
for right now. Great. Um, just let the city know we might start uh, being a squeaky wheel if if they don't have a date for the power washing in September, because we're going to be hitting a deadline for power washing um, after the September meeting. So, <laughs> Sure. And it's one of those things that, again, you know, yeah. there's 160 plus parks. There's probably a, a park up staff. So four uh, right now. So just keep in mind, it's not a question of will. Uh, it's just a question of capacity. Um, and, you know, they are aware of it and they are working on it. Yeah, it's just been so long since the market's been washed. It would sure. really be nice to get it washed. Sure. But, you know, still still the pandemic and the short staffing that comes with that, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, maybe we can help boost it up in the priority list. <laughs> no. well, I don't think it's necessary, but sure. That's why I said uh, we could be patient till a September meeting, but then I'm going to be getting antsy. Great. All right. Any other questions or comments about that piece of the agenda? Great. Then let's move on to events. All right. So last night we had our second food truck rally of the year. Um, the weather was a little strange. Uh Eric, you might have realized uh, with your patio being impacted, right? It sort of rained early on and then with sun showers alternated with nothing. Um, and we were sort of worried that it was going to be less tended, but no, still really great turnout because um, the rain kind of ended at that perfect seven o'clock, 630 to seven moment. Um, so we had a lot of great folks. We had 11 um, trucks and carts that were in attendance. We also had live music. Um, so that was something that was really great. And yeah, so we've got two more, one September 21st, and the last, I believe, is October 19th. Um, and for the last two, we've got 14 people signed up, um, you know, a very diverse roster, everything from uh, Pakistani food to taco truck to Jamaican food to vegan options. I think we had two separate vegan trucks last night. Um, and sort of everything in between. So moving full speed ahead with that, our new staff person that was her first rally yesterday. So she was able to sort of experience the market in a different uh, costume, I guess <laughs> we could say. Uh, but yeah, it, it was very good. Um, other than that, I don't think we really have um, any other events that we're organizing. With that said, uh, we have partnered with the Office of Sustainability and Innovation on what they are calling the Local Food Festival. That will be Thursday, October 13th um, at the market. Originally, they had thought that they might want it to be more of like a farm-to-table dinner, um, but now they have been inspired of stories that we had told them about, about what the Homegrown Festival used to be like, um, sponsored by at the time it was slow food here on Valley. So they wanted to be more of like a strolling dinner um, with pop-up food, perhaps cooking demonstrations, kids activities, um, things like that. And, you know, they're very, very new in the organizing process. So they haven't organized all the details yet. Um, and I think they should be reaching out to chefs and restaurants um, this week. So Eric, if Prismos is interested, um, we would love to have them participate or, you know, might be too much capacity. That's fine too. It's, things are a lot for us right now. <laughs> yes, I figured. 
we did want to extend the invitation if in the event that it was possible. I appreciate that. I, I wanted to also give a shout out to the staff for the doing these food truck rallies. I was talking to Alex on Wednesday and it just like hearing about the schedule that you guys have to maintain for that. It's sorry, running a full market in that day is hard. And then having this giant second event, it, it makes for an epic day and you guys have done a, a really good job of trying to juggle all of that. And that's, that's hard. Um, so I really appreciate you guys doing that and trying to figure out a way to work that out. So that's it's a lot <laughs> and it's great. So it, yes. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks. Yeah. And I was definitely glad to have a third person on staff now so that we can uh, split the hours. Last year, I was having to do a 16 hour day myself um, to make it happen. Whereas at least, you know, this time people were able to go home like a couple hours in between and come back or just come in later um, and leave earlier. So we were able to, to sort it out. But thank you. I appreciate that. Because yes, it is a lot of planning um, and administering that goes into it both day of and in the lead up. So. And I think that is all I have um, in terms of events. When it gets closer to the October things, there will be some stuff going on close by to the market. But again, it's not us per se, um, but, you know, potential impact. We'll talk about that at the September meeting. Great. Thank you. And I'm sorry I couldn't make it last night, but um, it's okay. I'm on for September and October, and I'm going to tell my students to go too. So. Yeah, yes, we're hoping it's going to be the last official day of summer, so we're hoping that will be a big boost. And then the October one, it's a little later than we have done in October, but I figure you know people are going to apple orchards, they'll be able to be fine outside <laughs> at a food yeah. truck rally, or I'll just tell myself this and see what happens. Great. Great. Thank you. Okay. The next thing is staff updates. All right. Yes. So our new assistant manager has joined Alex and I um, at the market. Her name is Macy Robinson. She was going to hope that she could have come tonight, um, but she had some uh, new grad student orientation stuff um, that she had to attend to. She just moved here about a month ago from North Carolina um, to attend C's for their master's program with a focus in sustainable food systems. Um, she went to North Carolina State uh, and got a horticulture degree with a focus on agroecology. So we pretty much lucked into having someone as our third person at market that has a strong background in local agriculture. She's also worked on multiple farms um, down in North Carolina. So she's been excited to join us. Um, and again, it's Right in a good time because Alex is going on his mandated two months off um, in, I think, like less than two weeks. Um, so September and October, uh, I think he'll be back for the last Saturday of October. But for September, October, he will not be with us. So we will be back down to two people. Um, you know, not the most ideal situation, but there are other staff in other facilities that we could reach out to, like the senior center, if we needed to. Um, and Eric, just to give some context, the city has a status of um, staff that is like a temporary full-time or temporary part-time, which means that they're mandated to be 10 months on, two months off. Um, and unfortunately, we can't choose the dates um, that that happens. It really just falls around dates of hire. Um, so, you know, it's something we're trying to work out. The good news is the city administrator has been doing a great job of increasing wages to living wage for folks. 
Um, but it's still been a little bit of a lag for facilities such as ours, which really needs two or more um, regular full-time people that don't have to take that two months off. So, you know, we're working on it. Um, but unfortunately, as of right now, we have to lose Alex for two months. Um, and hopefully in the two months, he comes back and doesn't find um, uh, a different job in that time frame. So we can only hope. I think before the city sort of got lucky um, with Becky and that, you know, she didn't really care that she had two months off. It was more just of a fun job for her, not so much, uh, you know, income that was necessary for her household. So, you know, it's been a, a learning curve, but, but the good news is Macy is here to step in. Um, but September, and October will be a little tight um, probably with staffing. Cause again, we're still very much in the high season market really doesn't start slowing down until really December on Saturdays uh, and November on Wednesdays. So, but that is my staffing update. Great. Thank you. The next thing on the list is the 30 Detroit street development update. Yes. So according to the last meeting, and Eric, I don't know if you've been aware um, of the development going in right across the street from us, um, going to be displacing teriyaki time. Um, anyway, so we've been having a lot of meetings, um, both with us, with the city, with Detroit Street Filling Station, with all like, the you know direct abutting neighbors about the project, trying to minimize the impact on the community, on the market, on surrounding businesses. Um, and we were able to get them to guarantee that there will not be any construction on Saturdays um, during the market. Wednesdays is a little bit more touch and go. I mean, the upside is Wednesday market is more seasonal. It's only May through December. Um, so I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But they said that the, they're shooting for October 1st for a start date for construction. Um, we're not sure if that's actually going to happen because uh, it's contingent upon, of course, all their final permitting um, and things like that coming through the city. Um, but as of right now, that's what they told us in the last meeting a couple weeks ago was October 1st. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But, you know, the upside is if it's a large portion of it can be done before May and they're telling us the Saturday is not going to be disrupting, you know, it might look good for us. Um, obviously it's not going to look so good for Detroit street and others that do have, um, you know, lunch and dinner seating times potentially right in the middle of construction. Um, but again, I think it's sort of an unprecedented, unprecedented relationship that we have right now in terms of we're having monthly meetings between the city, the developer, and the stakeholders. Um, and how we got to that situation is we had Lisa, we had other members of this commission. We speak strongly to say, hey, you know, like we need to make sure um, this does not negatively impact um, the community and the businesses. So that's sort of how we got to this place and that we did get some major concessions um, which were specifically staging on Fifth Ave instead of on Detroit Street. And then this idea of, you know, making sure they will not be operating um, any of the machinery during Saturday market hours. So that's all I had for that. 
So we'll see. I saw that they were marketing the units in the Observer recently, too. Oh, really? So, yeah. Well, that would, yep, it's definitely going forward. Um, with that said, it's a different development, but the one going on going to be right next to you, Eric, at the 4th Ave. Um, and Catherine Lott, I know that I believe September 1st, they're doing a community um, gathering and information sharing um, that's going to be at the market. And then they're going to go walk over to the parking lot. I just found that out this week, a couple days ago from the KDA. Um, so that might be interesting for stakeholders or commission members to go to it to learn a both about the history of the neighborhood as well as what are some next steps um, that we can be expecting for that space. Because again, as we all know, there's not enough parking in the area. There's especially not enough parking during market days. Um, and that would put a further squeeze on us and the abutting businesses like um, Barbara and Court and others. So um, it's going to be sort of a double whammy of construction. But with that one, not sure when it's happening. Um, it would have been great if they would have been at the same time, but you know, completely different developers, completely different projects. And that one is going to have a focus of affordable housing. So we're told, um, so, you know, more favorable than the luxury lofts in my view going in across, um, from the market. But again, my personal opinion does not reflect city of Ann Arbor's opinions. Caveat. Um, because again, I'm here as a representative of the market. So Stephanie, if you get information on that meeting, would you mind emailing it to us? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it was just some like one line email that said September 1st meeting. I don't even know who's, conven who's convening the meeting, um, but I can send that along to you. Yeah. If you see anything, that would be great. Yes. Thank you very much. All right. So now we will move on to the discussion about the sign-in process changes. All right. We've been working on for a while. Thanks for sending yes. them out and also the the previous market rules too. Yep. Um, and just to give some context, Eric, in order for us to change our rules, the ones that are written officially, not sort of like our practices, it actually has to be recommended by this body. And then city council has to vote on it. So that's sort of like the background context of this process that we're going through. Um, and what precipitated the change in these rules was the pandemic. Um, because previously it was a very, very different sign-in process where people would just sort of show up in the morning and be assigned a stall kind of on the spot. Whereas now um, to reduce sort of crowds forming and things like that, um, we do sort of like a pre-sign-in where people tell us the week before and they can tell us in pretty much any format possible, any type of technology in person, by email, phone, or just be permanently coming to every single market like Jeff, for example. Um, and then we make the map or by we, I should say, I um, make the map the evening before market uh, and send it out to people. It's always based on seniority. Um, I know a lot of times People think that's not what's happening, but it's still very much based on our seniority process. And what that means is you might have heard people mention we've got two classes of vendors. We've got the annual vendors who are our most senior vendors, many of whom are, you know, third and fourth generation. Their families have been at the market. And then we have our daily vendors, which are newer vendors that have not gotten their seniority yet. So in essence, the annual vendors have permanent assigned stalls. 
and our daily vendors sort of get filled in around where there's spacing. So when I make the map, I place everybody based on seniority. And this process here was really just to codify this change and process that we've been using since May 2020. We're just I making it official. Peter. One thing to add too was that, um, that the sign-in process has been uh, uh, a thorn in the side of a lot of folks for a long time and that there have been a lot of efforts to try to reform it and that it, in some ways is one of the bright points of the pandemic in terms of it finally made some of this kind of go to the 21st century a little bit <laughs> and it, it, there was a lot of desire for it and a lot of resistance for a long time um but it seems that it there was a lot of discussion as to how it could be how it could be but nothing ever got implemented and so there's this is now finally trying to there's translated and the and the pandemic forced us to experiment with that and try things out and it seems to have been working pretty well I mean, it's always a challenge because nothing will satisfy everyone but in terms of net net good it seems like from from what i've heard and from what i've seen it it, it does go in the direction that i've i've been hearing for years that people have been wanting to go um i'm not affected by it because i don't i'm not a vendor but from <laughs> from talking to vendors <laughs> it seems like that's something that's i've, I've heard a lot about Yep. Yeah. And to gather vendor feedback, we've done surveys. We've had a lot of people give us feedback. Um, the vast majority of people have been in favor of this change. Um, we've had some people that have been against it, but we've also had people that have been just wanting to tweak little aspects of it or add things here and there. <clears throat> but I think we finally got to the place um, where two meetings ago we were able and ready um, to recommend. We just did not have a quorum yet. Um, but let me just add, though, um, Stephanie's last email that she would be saying in person if she was here tonight. I will just read to you because um, it did echo one of the comments that we got in a public comment. So she said, um, the wording looks good on the sign in, except I think there should be consequences for if a vendor does not show but doesn't let you know ahead of time. This leaves unassigned space in the morning. And by the time we realize they are coming, it's pretty late to reassign. Um, this has happened to us a number of times already and can make a difference of hundreds of dollars for the day, depending on placement. Um, consequences could include a certain number of warnings before something more concrete, like losing seniority or requiring them to come in at an earlier time um, and then giving their cell away if they aren't there by, say, 6 a.m. This would give another vendor enough time to move and set up before market begins. Um, this is a suggestion that could be either in the rules or a market policy doesn't necessarily need to be written into the rule change is what she said uh, about that. I also, Peter, I don't know in talking to people if you've heard similar things, but I've, I've had a few vendors say similar things to me that um, of their frustration if somebody canceled at the last minute that there, there wasn't um, any consequences because, and then they're, or a time frame on which, you know, if you haven't shown up by this time, you sort of lose your stall so that Stephanie, it would make it easier for you to, to then uh, reassign the, the stalls. Sure. And I think a lot of times it's that they're canceling for very legitimate reasons that yeah. I don't necessarily think like a, you know, sort of consequence would make sense. For example, a few months ago, we had a vendor whose truck broke down on the way to the market. Right. There's literally no way um, they could have gotten to market. So that would be an instance where it's like, you know, 615 
and all of a sudden they're not coming. Um, or if someone wakes up feeling sick, especially given the pandemic, right? I feel like these are things that that will happen. And unfortunately, um, cancellations are a fact of life at market. I think this past Saturday was sort of really unique. And that was the first time in a very long time we haven't had any cancellations. Um, and, you know, there is the thing where people are supposed to tell us by noon the day before, but a lot of these situations have been people that, you know, had an emergency, right? It's not just that they're ghosting us or they're just no showing. That's really very, very um, seldom that happens. Most people are really good about telling us. It's just that sometimes they'll tell us, you know, either really late at night or I'll find out, you know, in the morning and I just like don't get to the next vendor in the seniority in time um, after, you know, before they're, they're set up. So I think, you know, like that's the one thing that people liked better before, right? If somebody wasn't there at the cutoff time, then sort of tough luck. Um, whereas it's difficult, I think, um, to make a hard and fast rule because people are already told like, you need to be there by six 30. Um, and for me, I think more of an issue has become, um, some folks that just aren't, aren't showing up early enough that they're getting there at like six 45. So it seems like the stall is, is vacant, but then all of a sudden they're like running in like while everybody else is pretty much already open. So, um, I'm not sure exactly what the solution is, but it seems to me that's more of like a vendor handbook thing um, than it is a official part of the rules. Because again, you know, I do want to make it flexible. Like I don't want to be, have a punishment for folks for things that they literally can't control. Um, And I understand, you know, people don't want to have to move later or not. um, But you know, I think that the perception of this happening so often is actually inflated um, based on, you know, my personal experience. And it has been a few times, but it's been things that I thought we were pretty able to pivot pretty quickly um, and able to fill in the gaps based on seniority. Uh, with that said, to answer Bruce's question, um, a lot of times people don't want to move. So it might seem like I'm not going based on seniority, like who gets the open spot but it's that, you know, everyone was set where they were. So somebody, you know, further down the seniority ended up getting a good spot because it was already either nobody wanted it after I asked them or it was already 630 and nobody wanted to reset um, their self. So, and the 630 cutoff is what it was before when there was um, the walkout before, before we changed this. So... I don't know if anyone has any other questions or comments. I'm curious, you mentioned about the um, handbook in terms of the vendor handbook. Does it actually have anything for any discussion about late arrival or things like that? Or is it just try not to be late? Um, Let me, I was looking at it before. Let me see if I can find that language. Um... I think it basically says the same thing about the new stall assignment procedure. And it's basically saying like, we're in in the process of updating this. So it's the same thing um, that you would see currently, but it's just not subject to uh, city council change, but it's, it's a similar messaging between both where it's, and when I give an email every week, it says vendors um, need to be set up and ready by seven. 
Um, we recommend when I go through the orientation, we recommend everyone shows up at 630. Um, the other question then becomes, if we have this cutoff uh, of 630, you know, who's going to be policing that, right? Because that time in the morning is already incredibly busy with everyone saying, you know, where can I park? What can I do? This, that, and the other thing. Um, and I just don't know if it's realistic. Um, I'm not sure. To, to have some sort of cutoff because before, right, everyone had to be meeting outside the office. So if you weren't visibly present, it was obvious that you weren't there. Um, whereas now it would be like, and I, you know, I do check for people, especially if we're expecting them and they're not there, you know, I'm consistently checking. And a lot of times it's not people wanting to move. It's people wanting an additional stall, right? Like, Oh, is so-and-so coming? I want a fourth stall is usually um, the feedback at least that I get about people wanting to know before say like 640 um, if someone's coming I don't know if that helps answer your question no that does yeah and it's just it's a question too and that you bring up a practical point too in terms of if we did have some more explicit rule which had you know more consequences too that if it, it's kind of unenforceable just because of logistics that's kind of undermines the intention too that that yields a spirit or that could easily yield foster a feeling of unfairness too in terms of hey you applied at this time but not that time because i didn't have time you know that 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 hmm. that yields bad blood too so i don't think that's that that's a problem yeah yeah and then on top of it as well you know like a lot of people that might think oh well you know i saw an open space or i could have moved like they're not even in the position of seniority to be that person to move up next you know like chances are it didn't even impact them um or it's people that again have permanent assigned stalls that wouldn't wouldn't have moved even if they had been asked to so um it's a tough one and i think yeah like that's the one drawback of this sort of pre-assigned thing um versus i feel like again i wasn't there before but seems to me that there was way more than one drawback of the previous system um and if this is you know what we have to work with i think you know we've gone through all the channels of feedback we've gone through so many different drafts um and i think you know it i would love to for us to just finish this um tonight so that we can move on to other things like the producer rules like the seniority process or transfer seniority rather um like the artisan question um and just sort of acknowledge that look you know we've been using this process for over two years of course it's not perfect no process is perfect um we've been working out the kinks uh, i think it's definitely gotten a lot better um and sometimes too there are people that might forget to sign in and they're like oh my gosh i'm so sorry or they'll call me at 4 p.m or something like that and you know that's fine um it's easy to accommodate but then again people don't see those things happening. They just come in at 6am and say, Oh, things are all different. And even if I had had enough notice um, to like, say, tell somebody, it's always going to seem as if they were like a no show or something like that. So, you know, so that's the other part that's a little bit um, hard. And where do you draw the line between, you know, what's a legitimate excuse and what is not? And again, how are we going to police that? how are we going to like force somebody to have a doctor's note? Like, I don't, I don't think we really should go down that road. Um, personally, I think it makes it less welcoming. And, you know, <laughs> that's the one thing we've been working so hard 
uh, is to make the market more inclusive, make the market more welcoming. And I don't want to go in a more draconian way um, when we've done such a great job sort of dismantling uh, those structures that I view as uh, as toxic. So that's what I would say. Lisa, did you have some feedback? Yeah, or so I, I just, um, thanks for all this this discussion. Um, it seems like there's two issues that have come up and I don't know if they need to be in the rules, maybe the, the book, but um, the operating manual for the, the vendors is um, that seven o'clock cutoff and, and, you know, no, we don't want you guys waiting that, but um, I'm wondering if the book can say, you should be there by 6.30 um, if you uh, are, don't arrive on time, you could um, lose your priority for your stall assignment or something like that. So it wouldn't be, you know, like this is a huge slap on the wrist um, that that it, it would just, um, it would be a little bit more um, potential of consequences. And then the second issue is this issue of um, if people don't show, um, uh, uh, when they said they're going to be there and um, uh, that has come up from a couple of people. And I was uh, wondering if, um, again, maybe in the operating manual for the market, this goes in as you get, you know, one or two free passes, really encourage people to call in if they're having truck problems or they get sick and things like that, just so you all will know. Um, if they're not coming. And then uh, if they are no shows multiple times, then that's where there get to be some consequences um, for that. And it sounds like that's not a very common pattern, but again, having that in the operating uh, uh, manual, just so that it's, it's clear for the, sorry, the, the farmer's market manual, just so it's, um, there, there is a process in place for those those things. Sure. And just to clarify, there is something in even the new rules that basically says, like, if you show up without signing in, you're going to get the last possible, um, just like whatever's available. So that part's already in there. Yeah. So this um, would be the re reverse that people well, have said sure. they're coming. Well, but sure. But I, not. yeah, I just wanted to clarify, though, like, the amount of no-shows, it's maybe like 1%. It's most likely it's things that it seems like someone's a no-show, but it is just they told us really late at night or we didn't get the message or they told us at like 6.30 when we were out in the market placing people. So we might have missed it and not been able to right get that person um, to have their stall filled or something like that. But no, it's, I don't even, I don't even really, I can't even think of one time it really was a no-show. But I can think of a lot of times where it was just late um, cancellation. So again, I don't know if it really makes sense um, to put this whole thing in there when it's, you know, where it's like addressing a problem that doesn't exist or it's just a perceived problem um, that that's actually not what's happening. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but um, there is that thing saying that, you know, like we can, excuse me, give people assignments as necessary, as needed, um, and how that all goes through. 
Jeff, did you have something to say? Yeah, I just wanted to clarify something. I was just reading. I was just reading over the email, and I yep. wanted to verify. So, like, I'm signed in. I'm there every week. That's not. It's not a personal yep. issue. That's something that affects me. But <clears throat> my question is: So, what happens? Let's say somebody who doesn't come every week shows up and they didn't sign in or they overlooked it or something like that. Uh, in the rules, it looks like it said that they go to the, it goes by seniority and they're placed in a available spot. What does yep. that mean? Does that mean, does it, does that mean they can bump out a, a daily vendor? No. Who's already got a spot assigned? Nope. It means that they just get what's available, what's currently open at that point. They don't get to take someone's spot now. And they don't and that's get something, spot. No. Uh-uh. And this was something that had come about in the beginning where people were worried that that situation would happen, where someone would get to like bump out someone. And I know before we had sort of ironed this out, that ha did happen a couple of times, um, specifically with Prohaska. They had a vocal staff person. They got very upset um, that they hadn't signed in. They kind of showed up and we were just going to be like, sorry, you know, they're in the spot. But that's part of the reason why, you know, we learned from that um, and put this language into the, the rule update, which is just saying, yeah, if you didn't tell us in advance, you're just going to get the open spot and no you will not be displacing anyone so the the telling you in advance is kind of in lieu of being there at six o'clock as it used Correct. to be gotcha. exactly exactly right, i just want to, i just want to make sure i understood it 100 percent. yeah I was oh yeah confused. yeah right, i'll just you. read you the the language it says specifically if a vendor arrives without signing in this it'll be assigned an available spot based on scene three so you're right maybe we should put in just an extra line that says, you know, they will not be displacing anyone. They won't bumping people just to make people uh, more secure on that. If you think it's confusing. Um, no, no I, I'm just, I'm just a little slow. I got it. No, I understand, no, I understand you're good. it now. You're good. So you're good. Okay. All right. Thank yep. you. Stephanie, Maybe. I think if you, yes. you do think that just putting in that extra sentence about, you know, if if you don't show up, there's the seniority statement, but then, you know, you will be given a spot that's, that's not having consequences for other people, um, other vendors that, that um, think that's something fairly easy that, that uh, can be added. Otherwise, I feel like available spot does say that. Okay. Um, but, you know, because if it was someone who had already signed in, that we know they were coming, that would not be an available spot. Right. So. So I think so it's good. Like available unoccupied spot or something like that. Is that what you what you mean? Well, sure, but I mean, isn't that kind of? It's I kind mean, of I know semantics, I know. but isn't that kind of what is. available well, already is saying? Yeah, yeah, that's saying. Is it does it hurt to be redundant in that case? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure. <laughs> I said. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, we could just easily fix it. Say available unoccupied spot. You know, we could just put in that extra word. And that would be easy. Yeah, that would be a, a minimum unit <laughs> kind of satisfy that. Yeah, <sighs> but yes, we can do that. That's no no issue. That would be simple. All right. No, Eric, your head's probably swimming with like, what are they talking about? This is so detailed. 
but feel free to chime in if you have any um, feedback. Just listening right now for sure. And definitely want to ask uh, after about getting some of these resources so I can put them over for sure. Yes, for sure. Yep. Great. All right. So I guess the question is, are we ready to vote on these? Um, uh, to have Stephanie send them then to city council for, for their perusal over them. So do I have a yeah. motion? <laughs> I, I motion to accept these rules as, as they're written or with the modification of unoccupied. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jeff, can you there. second? Second. Great. All right. So uh, uh, I think, Peter, you're going to have to check me on my procedures here. No, no, so. Now we have to call for a vote. Okay. Um, so everybody who is in favor of this vote, either say aye or raise your hand. Aye. To approve these, these new changes. All right. So um, this motion carries and um, these changes to the operating, um, the market operating rules uh, can go forward to city council. Great. And thanks everyone for being so engaged in this process. I know it's been a very long process, but we, we made it to the end. And thanks again also to all the vendors um, that have given us feedback in all directions. Um, it's de definitely been very helpful to get the details ironed out. Um, and also too, I think it's been helpful as well that this is kind of a living sign in process, right? Like we've kind of adapted to it given the conditions that we have. Um, and with that has come tweaks here and there. Um, and yeah, I think, I think we made it, I guess is where I'm trying to go with this. <laughs> Great. And Stephanie, I think thinking about that, the timing of people showing up and, and just in the, the um, um, handbook for the vendors, thinking about just, you know, it may be an unusual situation, but, you know, just spelling out that if you can't make it by this time, here's what you should do to let us know. Um, just so it's really clear for new vendors about, is it call the office? Is it email? Um, is it calling anybody's personal cell phone? That, that sort of thing. Um, is it calling another vendor and letting them, you know, tell you? And then um, also thinking about the, the potential of um, if people are no-shows multiple times, um, creating some sort of, sort of penalty. Because even though you're not having it, at least if it's in the the handbook for the vendors, um, then it's clear for everybody. Yep. And just to clarify, um, the weekly emails I send every week um, has sort of like this thing saying all vendors must be set up and ready by 7am. Please let us know as soon as possible if, you're if your plans change. I mean, that's messaging they're getting three times a week via email. So again, some people might not be checking that. So this is messaging that's continually going out um, in addition to just being in the handbook and or rules that people might not be checking on a regular basis. So it's in there. great that it's, it's in the emails, um, just revisiting yes. the handbook and, for and sure. making sure it's in there, especially for, you know, I don't know if you'd ever get a new Amish vendor, but it would be the handbook that they would be. Yep. 
Yep. Before. And this is all stuff that everyone gets discussed in their orientation as well. Like we go over this in detail yeah. too. So this is all messaging, you know, people are getting, it's just whether or not they, they choose to acknowledge it, um, you know, is sort of a different thing. So. Well, and thinking about maybe uh, revisiting that seven o'clock deadline. I mean, that's you guys to, to work out, but you know, there are people there, uh, customers there at seven o'clock things and it'd be great to have everybody set up <laughs> yep. um, before that so for sure all righty great so we are moving on to our uh next potential uh our next item on this list is um talking about um updates to uh rules um uh for the artisans and then to visit the other issues too so Let's start with the artisans. Yep. Um, and Stephanie did have something else that she wanted to share on that. Let me pull it up. Great. Um, she said, I do think the situation with the artisans creates an unfair environment that we should work to fix. Um, if we do integrate the lists, I think we should come up with guidelines for percentages of different projects products rather that the manager aims for upon admittance. Since future managers may not be as choosy or careful with vendor makeup, um, <clears throat> so I do think we need to do a better job of getting input on this. So maybe creating a draft of how it would look and sending it out to vendors is the next step is what she uh, had to share. So, so yeah, no, go ahead. do you want to do a summary of, of the, the issue, Stephanie for Eric, and then we can talk about um, possible outcomes. <laughs> Yes. Um, so currently the rules state that vendors who are artisan vendors, meaning non-food, meaning crafters, um, can only have maximum one permanent stall. What this means is when they have their so-called annual status, they can only, quote, own one stall. But they also are able to use two stalls and can pay yearly for those two stalls. So there's a disconnect right now between the stalls that some artisans are using and what they're allowed to quote unquote own um, based on the market rules. If that makes sense. So the real question, sorry, letting my cat out outside. Um, so the real question then becomes, um, there's two pieces on the table. One is just changing the rule so that artisans who are annual status can get maximum two stalls um, instead of what it says right now is one. So that's one piece. Um, and then the other piece of it is that currently we have um, sort of two rosters in one. I know I already said there's the daily and the annual split. Um, so this is yet another layer of... Um, complexity we'll call it uh which is that artisans when a <clears throat> excuse me when a annual status vendor retires or stops coming to market a spot becomes open for a new vendor but what ann was referring to in her thing is that there might be people that are food producers that have been at the market way less time they're able to sort of jump ahead in line um, ahead of the artisans and in 2019 there had been a discussion about sort of allowing an exception so that Anne um, could get her seniority because she had been at the market since I think probably the same year that you uh, started your sojourn in Currytown. Um, 
but you know, just recently got her seniority within yeah, yeah, it was 2019 that she got her seniority. Um, so that's kind of like the two things we're talking about. <clears throat> um, the easiest fix is that we could just change the rule to say, you know, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, artisans have a maximum two stalls when they're permanent annual status. Um, you know, that literally just means we change a one to a two in the rules that's as simple as it is uh and then the other one becomes addressing that move up part so that would be my summary the one asterisk i will say is we did have an artisan retire um this year so there will be a daily status artisan getting their seniority without having to change that rule or anything um so so I don't know if we necessarily have to address that part at the same time, or if we just want to go ahead, fix the two stall piece and then keep and then get more feedback from vendors on the other part of it. Um, but that's up to you all in terms of which direction that we could go. Um, but we certainly do have the stalls right now um, in September when we do our move up to fix the situation, to get all artisans that want their second stall to have it. Um, and also still have the first artisan on the list and the first producer on the daily list to move up and gain their annual status. So. Is there a formula of uh, food vendors to artisans that's like desired within the market? Yeah. So right now, yeah, that's sort of the magic question. Cause right now um, the way the rules are written, it says there's maximum 12 stalls for annual artisans and maximum 132 stalls for producers right and producers is everything it, that is food right um it's it's farms it's bakers it's people selling hot sauce is everyone um and even within that that's confusing but uh the the issue there though is when the fifth avenue picnic area was redone we lost two stalls um, so currently the number in the rules is actually not correct because there is only 142 total stalls, not the 144 um, that's written. So we're going to have to update that anyway. Um, it's just a question of, you know, do we think this is purview of the rules or do we think this is something that future market managers get sort of a guidelines listing saying, you know, this is the, the correct product mix that we like. Or if it needs to be this really kind of overly specific thing about, you know, this many stalls is only allowed for this percentage of people. Because right now um, there are, I think the current number is 16 total artisan vendors of a whole, uh, I think 110 is like the current roster with sort of the new uh, retirements and stuff. Um, so in other words, less than 15% of the market vendors are currently artisans. I have only brought on one um, since I've been in this role. I think Stephanie admitted two, um, but the vast, vast majority of them have been at the market more than 25 years. Um, yet there's still some strange fear that some people have that the market's going to somehow become overrun uh, with non-food vendors. Although, you know, the volume of artisans we have is, is very minimal. Um, and a lot of that has to do with there is a Sunday artisan market already. Um, so nine times out of 10, if I have somebody inquiring who's an artisan, I tell them, I'm sorry, we don't have space, go straight to the Sunday artisan market. You know, they can help you out 
And I know they've been expanding exponentially uh, because I've been doing this. Um, so that's the other thing, right? If we didn't have another sort of venue for them, maybe the the fears of the the market being overrun may be warranted. But in my view, because that artisan market exists, and because we have already such a low number um, in terms of percentage of artisans, uh, you know, I think some people are, are are worried for no reason. But again, personal opinion, people have different views on this. Um, and the the overall context too, lastly, I'll say, is that there's a lot of vendors that think the market should only be produce, right? They don't even think it should be value added. They don't even think it should be meat vendors. You know, they don't even think it should be half of the local food products that we have. And again, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Um, but again, from my perspective, a lot of these like small bakers or small um, pickle producer, right? This is a huge, huge opportunity for them because it's such a barrier of entry, as you know, you know, to get products into a store. Um, whereas, you know, being a cottage food baker, having your hot sauce outlet, you know, that can really sort of make or break folks starting their businesses. And not only that, it greatly supports our local food economy. Um, it greatly supports our local businesses by allowing this um, to happen. So, so I don't know. I personally would be more concerned about, you know, the the the, the market becoming all baked goods, because other than artisans, like that's the most volume of inquiries we get by far, right? It's like I am an artisan or I am a cottage food baker. I would love if we had more farms apply. That would be great, but they're just not there. Um, so I think that's another thing too, which is a larger part of this is kind of coming to terms with like the changing demographics of the vendors, the changing demographics of the customers, the fact that there are so many other places to get local produce now um, that just didn't exist 10 years ago, that didn't exist five years ago. Um, so, and I think that's sort of a hard, hard thing, especially for folks like who have been at the market forever and whose families have been there for a real long time. So I don't know. I think that's a little more philosophical than we probably need to get <laughs> at this moment. Um, but I think that's sort of like the broader implication of this conversation about, you know, what should the product mix be um, at the market? Eric, I do think you've sort of hit the, the nail on the head, though, is that that I uh, based on what I'm hearing is that having a discussion of um, maybe a proportion of the the market and it's particularly those annual stalls because that's like permanent real estate for people um, thinking about that proportion of the mixture of um, producers versus artisans and Stephanie could you also provide a little clarification on you know when when we think of the artisans, many of us th are thinking of the, the crafters, like Anne was referring to, but it's it's broader than that, right? It includes the the um, soaps and things like that? Well, that is artisan product. So you can just think of it as non-food items. And the way that it works out is that there are some vendors that are both artisan and farm, right? So, and I think the rules currently state it's something like 33% is the cutoff, right? If more than 33% of your products that you're selling are non-food, um, are artisan items, then you would be considered uh, an artisan. So, but again, if you're like a farmer that does soap on the side, right, you would then be a producer. So there's also that kind of strange gray area um, 
but I don't, I really think there's maybe just one person in that category, Patty Kempf. Um, she does ceramics uh, and then she'll also do herbs, flowers, and duck eggs um, is kind of her, her mixture of products. And then sometimes I think wool she'll do too on uh, yarns and things like that from her sheep. So again, that's the, that's the other question of all of this is like, some people makes perfect sense, right? They're a produce grower, clearly. But then there's a lot of other people that are sort of in this nebulous gray area. And on the one hand, they probably had to diversify their products to continue to be successful, right? Um, whereas, like, for example, this is a completely theoretical example. So say we had a vendor that they do maple syrup, they do meat, and then they also do wool products from their sheep. If one year, you know, they had a really bad harvest of syrup, I don't know, an animal ate all their meat and all they had to sell was their wool products, would we force that vendor to then become artisan status? Because that particular year, their products are more than 33%. Or if it's because that wool and stuff is produced by them, are they still a producer? So I feel like there's a lot of these questions too that are kind of unanswered um, in terms of, you know, where does being a producer and artisan end and begin? Does it matter if you're an artisan and the raw materials you're using, you raised as well? Or are, is it different that you're just like going to a store and using essential oils in your soap or something like that versus the person who's making their own essential oils from flower extracts that they also grew. So, you know, like I think it almost gets to like a, a splitting hairs situation a little bit, but, and maybe this is also more for the producer only um, conversation too. Um, so that's the other sort of confusion here about like having all these different categories are they really hard and fast categories do they really make sense um but again that's more of a long-term conversation of you know whether or not we really should have this cap on how many artisans can get annual status at one time um or not because right now um the first four daily vendors are all artisans and again they've been with the market minimum 25 years and there's producers that have been at the market less than five years that last year was able to move ahead of them and take those annual stalls, um, including people that are, are food vendors that are prepared food that don't make or, well, they do make their products, but they don't grow any of their products. Um, so, you know, how is that so different? I don't know. Some people think it's incredibly different. I also had an artisan tell me last week that she thought that they were closer to a farm. And they thought it was the producers like the bakers that should be the separate category, which, you know, they've got a point there. But again, it, that's not how the rules are written currently. And these are all the broad questions to be answered. So Peter and Jeff, I, I'd like your input in, because uh, it seems like one of the real critical things. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Froze. Lisa. Sorry, can you guys hear me? Yep. Now now we can. Can. Yeah. Oh, sorry. My is going um saying it's unstable. Sorry about that. So it seems like the issue is um the um number of stalls that's actually in the rules. So um I'd like to talk about that 
moving forward and then we can address the issue of two stalls. So it seems like it's the number of stalls for the annual vendors that are artisans. Um, I would like to propose that we think about um, exploring some sort of um, percentage of the annual stalls rather than um, a, and maybe that we say up into this percentage can be um, artisans, but that's just one suggestion that I had so that future commissions don't have to be revisiting this issue again, that we can provide uh, more flexible uh, guidelines. I guess I might, uh, so I, I hear as two separate questions too. One of them is for the artisans as currently done to shift that, that number of annual stalls they can have from one to two. I think that seems totally reasonable. And that seems like a, a short-term fix that would address that issue doesn't deal with the long-term balancing or the mix. And I think that's, we. there have been a lot of other issues through previous years too about this with other vendor categories that appeared of CBD products or whatever, you know, things that we didn't think about that will then come into the mix and could the exact same dialogue happen. So that I think that's a, that's a broader, more complicated discussion to have. Um, and so I, I might propose to hunt a little bit on that one because that I, I think we should that that I think will take more thought that seems like a separate complicated one <laughs> um, and thus far I think historically that part has gone somewhat by the the role of market manager as curator and that that's kind of a I see the mix I see kind of where the demand is and I kind of see what are where we're going and I'm I'm gonna choose that in and that's that puts a lot of trust in the market manager in the last hundred years our market manager hasn't hasn't led us astray. So that's good. Um, I hope in the next hundred years, they don't want to keep, keep good market managers. <laughs> I don't know, but, um, but figuring out how to circumscribe that a little bit more, it's, that's a challenging problem. Um, but I think if keeping these as two distinct issues, one is I think a short term, I think there's something we can do about that quickly. The second one I think is, is part of a, a qualitative discussion that's, it's going to be, I don't know. I, it'll be a question to figure out how to, how to codify or if to codify. So that's, those are my two cents. If though um, the annual um, artisan vendors that are given, that um, would like two stalls, um, that will definitely put it over the 12 stall limit for the rules. Is that correct? Yeah, it would be basically, for example, right now, there's four vendors that want two stalls who are artisans, right? There are 11 total um, annual artisans, right? So it would be, you know, the eight plus the seven remaining would be how many we would need to help everyone right now. And I know the all the other artisans we've spoken to or that are annual don't want more than one stall. So who knows, maybe we could say like 16 to be safe. Um, well, the other way we could do it to keep the ratio still similar to is yeah. to say we'll retain it at 12 and that will allow two and this will be a temporary overshoot and then it will come back down. And so that 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 you know has a trade-off in terms of it means that short term we'd have, we only allow 12, but currently we have 16. And then that that just delays other artisans from moving into annuals. 
from being dailies to annuals. And that would be the trade-off in terms of it would retain the long-term average. It wouldn't up increase the number total of annual vendors who would be artisans. Um, but it would, it would, or a number of stalls that would be long-term assigned to annual artisans, but it would be, um, it would be fair to those who are currently there and giving them the flexibility of having to, it's, it's a bit of a Faustian bargain in some ways. Um, but that, that, that would be a way to kind of keep within the boundaries we've been working in before with a minimal change, but with a recognition that we're going to overshoot for a short period of time. Well, the person who is getting their annual status needs to get their status. Like they've been, I mean, they've been there just as long as Anne. Um, and it was sort of a point of contention that Anne got moved up and then they didn't and have had to wait. So I don't think it's going to work um, to make them wait any longer. Um, so I think we might just want to say 16 can be our temporary change. Um, and then we can sort of revisit it uh, as, as we need to. Because again, like I don't want to just postpone it and then cause more conflict um, in the postponing process. Because again, just to clarify, these are stalls that they're already using, right? This is not anyone trying to say, I want to do an additional thing. Like they're already there. They're already there every single market day. Um, you know, so it just really kind of doesn't make sense, I think, to have sort of an arbitrary cap which just says like, oh, well, you use this, you pay for it, but you can't really be there. It just doesn't sit well, I think. Jeff, did you have any feedback? I think that... Hello? Yep, we can hear you. Okay. Um, what said... And the right yep. track. Um, what's that? Um, I feel like we we should maintain, try to maintain the uh, the rules as they are. But at the same time, I I see what everyone's saying about um, you know, they've been there and they're using them, and and if it's not going to do any harm and let letting them have their spot, um. But I do think it's important to have a number of different, you, you, you know, a, a, a certain number have a cap on it the way that it is. Um, you know, I, I think we need to come up with a, either we change the number in the rules or, um, or, or like Peter said, we just allow it this one time. Um, that's kind of where I, how I feel about it. Great. Thanks, Jeff. So I guess step, I have uh, go ahead, one more question too. With if you you're saying that there's another vendor who's like who's been for a long time who's slated to become an annual too, and that that I get that, and that makes and that kind of is the it's emblematic of the issue we're the bigger issue we're trying to deal with, and that that and if then we expand to include that person, then what about the person behind them? Is there another person who's been here still 18 years? Another person who's been 12 years who will make that same argument as things go forward. And it just, that's, that's, I think where the, the concerns that some people have for the, the slippery slope kind of of that is, is to do we just kind of, it's because of this, this asymmetry that's been this, this separate system that's been going on um, that it will 
kind of it could potentially just exacerbate that um and so it maybe the the bigger solution is to really figure out how to fuse these things and make that into a, a big one the easy one is just to do a little like more temporary little tweaks and temporary little tweaks with kind of not actually addressing the problem um and they kind of solve it for the people who are there now but push the problem later on for other people um well, just to clarify, um, the person who's going to move up is free and clear because they're someone that retired. Um, so this is not someone we're just saying, like, move them into there. Right? They already earned it. Um, I think they would be number 12 or maybe even number 11. You know, I was kind of looking at the thing and I was like, wait, maybe we're actually already one off um, when I was looking at it earlier. But no, they're completely free and clear. Um, this would not be just making an exception for them. This would be like they actually gain their seniority based on the current rules. So I think that's good to know because um, move up's happening next month, right? Yes. Yeah. So, um, so maybe that could be addressed then with the timing issue then in terms of if this rule, I'd say we did to shift it to a two- stall the one to two maximum for the annual vendor but we didn't implement that until two months from now until move ups already happened then that would be again it, it increases the overshoot um but that or if there is that or we max just then say roll, rise the whole limit up there um i'm not sure and that's that seemed problematic too because we're already over promising stalls for more stalls than we actually have and that would then potentially over-promise even more stalls. But we're not over-promising stalls because, for example, if we're talking about Carol Scott or Debbie Marks, their second stall that they're using, no one owns. They're currently mm -hmm. unassigned. So we actually have enough open stalls currently to fix this problem is sort mm -hmm. of what I'm saying. And we also have enough to let the next producer up and the next annual who has or artisan who has uh free and clear qualified based on our current rules so to me i think what makes the most sense is give everyone their second stall that they've already paid for that they're already using and then update the amount of stalls to reflect that um and then i think then go back and talk to vendors about you know what should the rule really look like should it be something like 20% of vendors should be artisans and we get out of this whole nit nitty gritty detail of like, this is the exact number of stalls completely. And we just say 20% artisans. And then we don't have a separate category because as I said, the top four people are artisans. All of them have been at the market minimum 25 years. Um, and then the next person after that, who's an artisan has been there, you know, at least five. So there's already like a huge gap between um, that and, uh, you know, like I understand it's hard for people to embrace change. <laughs> um, but I think if we're serious about making market more inclusive, making market less toxic, I think this has to happen um, sooner rather than later. And I think it really needs to happen this move up um, because we have the capacity to do it now. So. So I guess I'd like to know um, if the artisans are given the second stall, um, that's that's um, at the annual artisans, um, that then um, assigns a higher proportion of stalls to artisans. 
Um, and is that going to have any long-term consequences um, like 10 years from now? Um, I don't see what it what it would do. I mean, we already have artisans that are dailies, at least Tiani, for example, like they use two stalls and they pay for two stalls, but no it's one the, else does that's yeah, in the daily artisan. It's the permanent assigning of stalls is that's what I want to just think about the consequences of. Um, and P Peter, you've been at this a lot longer than I have. So, and, and Jeff too, if, if you can think of any consequences, I'd, um, yeah, I, I don't, I, it, I don't see it necessarily as a serious issue. I think it is just a matter of trying to make sure that we're keeping things. I, it's a tricky thing to balance because we, we balance this at the, at the source oftentimes where the market manager kind of vets and chooses the mix and we don't never know who's going to stay for a long time and who will not. And so that's really hard to know. And so there's not, and there had to be fair about that. And there isn't necessarily, a, a, thus far we, there, this was an old policy that was trying to address that in some ways. I don't know when it was established, um, but it's clearly been there for a long time. Um, and that that was trying to address some of these concerns. And that I don't know that I'm, I'm not awfully concerned that that's actually how it's going to be. I, think, I, I do trust the market managers to do their best to keep these things in mind. The other part though, too, that I'd note is that we're not really even totally choosing it in terms of that the artisans still, like producers can have three stalls. Uh, annual stalls for artisans can never have three stalls or never have three annual stalls. Um, they, there's a there's a disparity there. In fact, some producers have four stalls um, if they have seniority. So for if they're at least one, um, so that there there are ways to that that's kind of leverage in. So it's 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 complicated. Um, but I I'm not I'm not concerned that this is going to yield some catastrophic failure of the market i think that's that's okay um so i wasn't worried about that um okay so i hear two issues and um these are going to have to be in the rules again so the two issues that i hear and please chime in is one changing that statement of how many stalls are assigned to annual artisans um, and then the second one is whether annual artisans can be assigned two stalls instead of just the limit of one. I think the second piece has already been decided as far as I'm concerned. I th everyone seems to be in favor of it. And we need to figure that out very soon um, so that we can do that for the move up. The second piece, you know, one solution is just completely deleting that line out of the rules. I know that's sort of like the shocking solution but that's that's one also you know it could be we change it to 16 but it could be we like just take that out and then we change something where we give to the market manager and say you know the mix of the market needs to be no more than 20 percent annual artisans or you know something like that um and then just address it in a way that's not um in the rules, because that's the other thing is that every time we make an exception in the rules we then have to change it again later um, so I feel like the easiest part here would be to just green light the two stall cap, um, and two stall maximum for annual artisans, and then sort of ignore that other piece until we can get some more feedback. Um, and then we can see, you know, if people would rather just change it to 16 or people would just rather completely take it out. Um, 
you know, I think maybe that's the part that we can have a more broad discussion later. Um, because to me, it's sort of a no-brainer to let people have the stalls they pay for and use every single market. I think that makes sense. I'm, I'd be concerned with just deleting the second part in terms of that that would that would then, right, long term, that that could end up having more weird unintended consequences. To but I hear what you're saying about how to make sure that balance again I, I i rely on the curation of the market manager to help make that process go and that but at the same time too trying to make i think even like the 16 is tricky too because it's a problem if we have how many annual vendors if they all of them like not all of them want two stalls well someone want one some want two if we allow them all to have two then but we say they're only 16 but then suddenly some, someone decides well i can have two so i'm going to take an extra one it's by my right but we don't have any allocated, then we create another conflict. Um, and that's just, you know, we're setting ourselves up for, for future conflicts in that way. Um, so I don't know exactly if, unless it was the total number of annual artisan vendors, not the total number of annual, annual artisan annual stalls. Um, that would be a more discrete number that would be manageable. Um, because it, we get these weird conflicts if you do it on a stall basis versus on a vendor basis. So I want to be mindful of time. So Stephanie, it sounds like um, you have the the first daily vendor who's an artisan able to move up, uh, and then um, to an annual vendor, um, and then it sounds like we're in agreement that the current annual vendors who would like two stalls were granting an exception to the rules this time, and that we will revisit that in the rules when we we have a little more time. Is that that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I'm okay with that. Okay. Um, so I also heard us talking a lot about the proportion of annual vendors being um, artisans and producers. So Stephanie, if you could put together after the move up some um, figures for us. And I think it would also be helpful for our future discussions if we also have a breakdown of the, the for thinking about this producer only, the different types of vendors um, at the, the market. So it's not only producers and artisans, but also producer category, how many fall into meat and produce. And um, Stephanie Willett used to give us those breakdowns just so we could could think about that in terms of our capacity of advising the, the distribution of people at the market. So it seems like it would make sense to do that after move up. Alrighty, so we will. Good yeah. Okay, good. So then we're going to table the the um, other issues, which are the producer only rules and the um, transfer of seniority. So let's move on to any new business that we have. All right. So second public comment. All right. I see a hand raised. Go ahead and unmute yourself, Anne. Okay, sorry, this is Anne Shepard again. I kind of raised it during the discussion because I think it will be 17 stalls because 
Dana was specifically included in the three people in the 2019 deal. Dana's been coming for 28 years. The only reason she's not ahead of several of us is because a very old market manager kind of did a gotcha and led her to believe that she had her 15 times in and then said, oops, you only have 14 and she lost her seniority, but she's been coming her 15 times for over 28 years. And she's already been told she's getting the stall. So thank you so much for going for continuing to give her her annual stall that she's finally going to earn because she definitely deserves it. And um, I also want to say it wasn't really mentioned too much, but Stephanie, Stephanie Willett's letter mentioned that really the only time we can control the quantity of craft at the market is at acceptance because we're already allowed to have that many stalls on a daily basis. And that's not only the only fair way to do it, it's literally the only way to do it. Um, and, you know, it's just not cool to use that, something that doesn't exist in physical reality as an excuse to treat, treat longtime vendors who follow all the same responsibilities, duty, and payment as everybody else to deny us the same right and thank you so much you guys i'm so excited i think you're giving us our stalls and that's amazing thank you i'll never forget it okay have a great week everybody thank you bye thanks ann thanks Sam. anyone else that is interested in participating in public comment All right i think i think that is it for public commentary this time around. Hey, so I think we are at adjournment now. I want to thank all of you for coming and your hard work. And it is 7.06. And so this meeting is adjourned. Great. All right. Thank you all. Thanks, Eric. Feel nice free to, to shoot you, Eric. Yeah. Feel free to shoot me an email if you have any questions, if you want to specify sure. stuff, or just walk on over during Wednesday Absolutely. or Saturday market.